Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Bison Hour. I have uh, the distinct pleasure of having one of my friends and mentors, and he's actually my father-in-law. I met him back in 2015 um, when he was given more or less like a like a sermon at church. Um, but Brian Christensen owns about 1,200 head of cattle. Yeah, on fifty-four head of or fifty-four fifty-four hundred acres yeah, here in about Oklahoma. Five thousand. Okay, about five thousand acres. Um, you've owned multiple businesses in your lifetime. Worked obviously multiple jobs to get to where you're at. But what I want the viewers to kind of hear today is just your story. So cool. If you could tell us a little bit about you know how you grew up, how you were raised, and when you started to do business dealings, and and kind of just give us sweet. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start. I grew up in a big family. My parents had nine children. I am the oldest of nine. I'm actually tied for the oldest. I have a twin brother, you know, my brother Aaron, and I've done a lot of work with him too. So there's six boys and three girls in our family. And I grew up in Idaho and uh, grew up on a farm. My dad was a farmer my whole life growing up. And so I learned how to work hard. And I think that's maybe the most important thing that you can do to make you successful in life, not just in business, but anything you do. If you work hard, you are going to be successful. You know, there's varying degrees of success, mm -hmm. but if you're a hard worker, you're always going to find success in things that you do. So as I grew up on the farm, my dad taught me how to work hard and we'd go out and we'd get up early in the mornings and we'd go... In Idaho, we had crops, and what we'd do is we'd have to water the crops because we didn't get nearly enough rain to— What did you guys grow? So we grew potatoes and sugar beets. They melt those sugar beets down and turn them into sugar that you put on your food and everything. Uh, we also grew mint, and we'd they would take this mint oil, and they'd ship it to Wrigley's in Chicago. Huh who would make gum, like peppermint gum and stuff like that. So we grew mint, and then we grew wheat, and uh, those were kind of our primary crops. Mm -hmm. So those crops needed to be watered because Idaho is an arid climate. So we would pump water out of wells and out of rivers and stuff like that. So then you had to get that water to the crops, and we'd do that by moving what we called hand lines, and it was just sprinklers, but you'd have to move them every day. In fact, we'd move them at 6 o'clock in the morning and then 6 p.m. at night, so they'd have 12 hours to irrigate the crop. Are those the sprinklers with the big wheels on them? No, those are, that's called a wheel line, and we had those too. Uh -huh. Hand lines are exactly what they sound like. You use your hands. You pick them up and move them, connect them, and then you move them on down. So the wheel it. lines were nice because you just started a motor, and they would roll themselves. Uh -huh these hand lines you'd have to do by yourself. So they made you strong, but it was really hard work. So 6 a.m. every day growing up. Yeah, pretty much. During the winter, we didn't have to irrigate because we weren't really growing any crops. But mm -hmm. yeah, during the summer and spring and fall and stuff like that. So it lear it, we learned how to work hard, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons from that. Some good and some bad. Mm -hmm. Even the bad lessons teach you things. Like I learned, I don't want to move hand lines the rest of my life. Yeah, I didn't mind doing it, but I thought, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. But I did enjoy farming. I enjoyed being outside and working hard and being in the sun. And um, But my dad grew almost mainly just crops. Uh -huh. So we spent all our time with crops. Well, as I got older, he bought a few cows. Mm -hmm. 
And I really enjoyed that part of it more than anything else. I enjoyed working with the cows and seeing the baby calves and all that. So I really enjoyed that part of it. And so I kind of thought to myself, as a young kid, I thought, I want to be a cattle rancher someday. But it's very hard to get into cattle ranching because it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. You have to, uh, you know, land costs money, equipment costs money, the cattle costs money. So it's a really hard thing to get into, but I wanted to do it. And so I set a goal that I would want someday Mm -hmm. be a cattle rancher and do it full time, even though I knew it was going to be really difficult to do. But um, you asked me earlier about something, a story. Yeah, so so I've been in the family, I think, almost eight years now. And through talking with one of your brothers or something like that, we were talking about you one day and they said, you know, Brian's always had a mind for business. And I was like, what do you mean? And you're like, even as a kid, he would make deals happen with other farmers. And he was basically just the middleman making deals and getting paid. Yeah. So what is that about? So when I was about 14 years old, I was in Boy Scouts and I had this scout leader and he was actually a cattle rancher. He managed a big cattle ranch. Uh-huh. And I he... There's a product called straw, and okay. straw is a little different than hay. They just use it for bedding. Oh. So instead of cattle laying on the hard ground or in the mud or something like that, they will use this straw to bed them down so they can lay on something soft. Mm-hmm. Well, I was talking to him, and I said, how much straw do you use in a year? He said, oh, we use about 20,000 bales of straw. And I said, oh, that's cool. Do you have plenty for this year? And he said, "Ah, we need about 6,000 more bales. And I said, okay, that's interesting. And I didn't think much about it. But I said, what do you guys pay for straw? And he said, we usually pay about $2 a bale. Now, straw is the byproduct of wheat. Mm -hmm. So you grow wheat, and then you bring in these big combines, and the combines come in and cut down the wheat. And all they do is keep the wheat, and that's what they make into bread and other things like that. So the 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 straw that's left over, they usually just grind it up and spread it on the field, and then they'll disc it up, and it kind of helps the ground a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, straw is made out of that leftover wheat. Well, I said to my dad, hey, can we, instead of grinding up that straw, can you just put it in rows for me? My dad's like, sure, I guess so. So I called this scout leader, and I said, hey, are you still needing 6,000 bales of straw? And he said, yeah. I said, will you give $2 a bale? He said, if you deliver it and stack it at my place, I'll give you $2 a bale. And I thought, 6,000 bales times two bucks is $12,000. So I was like, that's pretty sweet. And this is you at 14? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And this is like 1986. So that, so that much money is worth three times that now. Uh-huh. So I'm like, we're talking about like $36,000 in today's money. And I'm right. a 14-year-old punk, right? Right. right. Anyway. So I tell my dad, hey, put it in the rows instead of spreading it. So then I call. At this time, you didn't tell your dad, hey, so-and-so down the road is going to pay me money. Well, I told him, I said, we might, I I might try to sell that or do something with it. He's like, I don't mind. I'll put it in a row for you. And I'm just a 14-year-old kid. He's Mm -hmm. like, what do you got up your sleeve? So then I call, I call my, uh, an uncle that I have. My uncle Mike, and he's got a baler that bales straw into little bales. Uh-huh. And I called him and I said, "Hey, I've got all this, all this straw in rows. Hmm. How much would you charge me per bale to bale it up for me?" And he said, uh, 
it's about 50 cents a bale. I said, okay, cool. My other uncle had all this, all this hay equipment that uh -huh. he could haul hay with. So I called him, his, my uncle Larry, and I said, uncle Larry, hey, I've got this straw out in this farm. It's, our farm was called Swan Falls, out at Swan Falls, and I need to load it and move it to this guy's property about eight miles away. How much can you do that for? And he said, I can do it for about 50 cents a bale. I was like, okay. So I told them both, all right, do it. So they went out and they started and they, my uncle Mike bailed all this straw and my uncle Larry hauled it to the guy. So the guy writes me a check for $12,000 for 6,000 bales of straw. And then I pay my uncle 50 cents. So that was 3,000 to one uncle and 3,000 to another uncle. And I made six grand, which in today's money is like $20,000. As a 14-year-old, how, yeah. how long from start to finish did that project take? Well, for me, I made four phone calls. I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not the one who... Yeah. In fact, my dad was actually a little bit mad at me. So did you like, keep all the money? Did he... So I'll, I'll tell you what happened. And it's funny because it's like, sure. I have a 14-year-old son right now. Yeah. If he made a couple moves and made 20 grand, I'd be like, what the heck, you little punk. Yeah, yeah. But my dad was actually mad at me because he's like, you didn't do any work to gain that $6,000. You made a few phone calls. Mm -hmm. So he, I had three brothers that are really close in age to me. I have a twin and then a brother that's 18 months younger and then another brother 18 months younger than mm -hmm. him. My dad made me split that 6000 between the four of us. So I wrote them each a check for $1,500 because he was mad that I made all that money for myself. But... I don't know what kind of a lesson he was trying to teach me, but it did teach me to share and to be kind to others and stuff like that. But that was kind of my first experience of being an entrepreneur at 14 years old. Did the light bulb kind of go off like, I just made four phone calls, made, you know, in today's money, 20 grand, where you just... What was the motivation behind that anyway? Money. Was, was it just <laughs> yeah. like... Well, you know, I just kind of did the math. I'm like, so if he's willing to spend... $12,000 on, on straw, uh -huh. and I've already got a buyer, I just need to figure out how to get the straw, and if I can get it for less than $12,000, i am going to make money. Yeah. So when I started making the calls and my uncle said, hey, I can bail it for $0.50, cents. another uncle said, I can haul it for $0.50, I'm like, I'm going to make a dollar yeah, yeah. per bale. So what it did is it kind of taught me that you can make money in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And if you just pay attention, like I could have said, oh, that's cool. The guy needs 6,000 bales. Big deal. But instead, I thought, huh, if he needs it, somebody's going to supply it to him. It might as well be me. Even though I'm only 14 years old, I can make a few calls and see if I can make it work. So it kind of started me down the path where I where I thought, you know what? There's a bunch of different ways you can make money. Just be observant and keep your eyes out, and there's opportunities out there for you. Mm, that's so. a really no, that's a really good lesson for I think a lot of kids or just a lot of people in general. Like business opportunities are out there. I can't tell you how many times I've driven past a piece of real estate or something, and I'm like, man, that would make a really good investment. And I didn't have the means or I didn't have the courage to find a way to make that deal happen. Yeah. And what's funny is, is a couple months later, somebody comes in with the exact same idea and does exactly what 
that is, but uh, being observant and then <clears throat> being willing to pull the trigger too, being willing to just make the phone call and be yeah. uncomfortable. That's something I've noticed. You have no problem going to anybody being like, hey, let's work out a, a business deal. Um, so you went from growing up in Idaho, farming, and then uh you grew up, you went on a mission for your church, yep. right? To yeah, Southern to France. To Southern France. Okay. Um, you were there for two years. Yeah. Um, was there anything that you learned on your mission uh, in living in France for two years that I guess uh, carries over to business or entrepreneurship or anything that, that... Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said earlier, on the farm, you learn how to work. Mm -hmm. And you kind of got to learn how to work as a missionary too. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have anybody standing there telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. You do have a companion. The two of you work together and you spend a lot of time together. So one thing I learned is how to get along with people. Mm -hmm. You're just assigned a companion. They assign someone to be with you for two, maybe three months. And you might not be best friends in the world, mm -hmm. but you got to learn how to get along with people. And not only get along, but but be really friendly and nice and have mm -hmm. that person like you and you like them back, even though you might come from completely different backgrounds. Same is true of business. You got to get along with the people that you're in business with. Mm -hmm. People will want to do business with somebody who's kind and nice and that they can trust. Mm -hmm. Somebody that's honest. I think that's really, really important. In fact, maybe the most important thing in business in fact, I've had a lot of employees in the past. Some are really hard workers and maybe some aren't so hard. But the one thing that I have to have is trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. Even if somebody's a little bit lazy, if I can trust them, at least I know they're not stealing from me or taking advantage of me. Whereas somebody might be a hard worker, but I don't trust them. If you can't trust them, how can you work with somebody or, or spend time with them when you know that you can't trust them? Anyway, so I learned that from my mission. And you have to be self-motivated, too. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, there's not you don't have a boss when you're a missionary. Your job is to just go out and talk to people and get to know people. And we were teaching people about Jesus Christ, but one of the other things we wanted to do is just serve and help people. Mm -hmm. Spend time serving others. And so you could get up at 10 in the morning and be out the door at noon if you wanted. Nobody's going to yell at you or stop you. But I would, we would try to follow all the rules. They had rules that they set, but there was nobody there really to enforce those rules. Right. So you could either obey these rules or you could just do what you wanted. And I chose to obey the rules because mm -hmm. I thought it was important. Why am I even here on a mission if I'm just going to goof around? Yeah. So I worked hard. I was out early in the morning. One of the things that they did is they asked us to study French. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to speak French really well and be fluent in French. Because mm -hmm. it's hard to speak to French people if your French is no good. So I'd spend one hour every single morning studying French, even towards the end of my mission when I was basically completely fluent. You're never quite fluent unless you're maybe live there for 10 or 12 years because mm -hmm. you're speaking to somebody and they talk about the parts of a car and you get lost or something, but 99% sure. of conversations. So learning French opened up my mind too, where it just, it's almost like it opens up your brain to different receptors or something and you become a smarter, more well-rounded person. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good thing that helped me in France. And then just seeing different cultures. 
I know that you served a mission too in Bolivia and yeah. learned Spanish and saw, you see, I saw t- very rich people on, on, in Southern France and I saw really poor people mm-hmm. and I spent time with both of them. Mm-hmm. And you know what? To be totally honest, the poor people I loved because they were humble. Mm-hmm. They were easy to get along with. They were easy to talk to and sure. to teach because they were humble. I liked the rich people too, but they were harder to talk to. Mm-hmm. And that's one lesson I learned. I thought if I ever get a lot of money, I hope that I can remain humble and mm-hmm. be just a good down-to-earth person who treats others right and treats others with respect and dignity and stuff like that. So that was another thing that I learned from my mission. How long ago did was that? When did you get home from? I got home from my mission in November of 1992. Mm-hmm. And then, kind of crazy, I was married seven months later. Found my wife, Donna, yeah. and we got married in June of 93. So it was pretty quick. So I talked to you about that. Um, you know, part of my story is I got married really young too. And uh, obviously, you know that. But uh, I would almost attribute a lot of my success has come because I got married at such a young age and because, you know, Chantel and I were able to grow together. And we had a conversation, I mean, back when I was 21 and I asked you, I was like, hey, like, obviously you got married young, you went and got a degree um, and you forbade pretty much just partying and living it up and having this free life that most young people do. I, I think the average 18 year old graduates, graduates high school and wants to go to college and the focus of college kind of turns to partying and then it turns to, I wanna have fun in life and I wanna travel and I wanna enjoy, which isn't a bad lifestyle. Um, but we talked about that. I said, do you ever regret getting married so young? Do you ever regret starting a family so young? Do you ever regret getting straight to work? And uh, do you remember what your response was? I don't remember that you, particular you legitimate. I think you legitimately said you're like, yeah, but all those people that spent time or wasted time partying, they're losers. And you're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so much, I'm so much more, that's a, that's a harsher word, but you know, they're bums. Like they don't, they, they spent time, they wasted eight to 10 years of their life until they figured out that they want to do the exact same thing that I do. And by that time you were light years ahead of, you know, anybody your age. So when you got home from your mission, you got married to Donna. Um, and then did you, you, you went and got a degree at Boise State, correct? Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of crazy. I got home from my mission and started up in school in January. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ha- get married and have a bunch of kids. That's just what I wanted to do. It's not necessarily religious or anything. I just wanted a bunch of kids, and I love children. I wanted to be married. So I found Donna, fell in love, got married to her. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to start a family and that I wouldn't be able to just spend a ton of time. Mm-hmm. I can't do college for six years. Mm-hmm. It would just take too long. So I took about 24 credits per semester, and I graduated in three years. Not three and a half. I didn't have any AP classes in high school or anything like that. I just took 20 credits, 24 credits a semester and got it done. In the meantime, we had three kids while I was going to school. Actually, two, and we were expecting the third. Your wife, Chantel, was our first child, and then we had Lyndon Uh while I was still going to school. And... I think I look back at it now and think that it was a sacrifice, which it was, Uh 
But it was fun. I loved having little kids and being married and all of that. So it's not like I look back and say, oh, I missed out on all the partying because I enjoyed my life. Yeah. Sometimes I think, were there fun things that single people do that I kind of missed out on? Maybe a little bit. Yeah. But anytime you're doing something, you're missing out on something else, yeah. right? So it's just part of, part of life. And, and when I look back at that, I think, thank goodness I did what I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about people... Um, investment strategists say, mm-hmm. the sooner you start investing, the more you're going to have for retirement in the end. Right. So that's kind of the attitude I had. The sooner I start a family, the happier I'll be. The sooner I start working hard, the sooner I'll reap the benefit from mm-hmm. that. The sooner I graduate from college, the sooner I can get on with my life and start doing some of the things that I really want to do. So You know, I think the definition of sacrifice is giving up something now Mm -hmm. for something better in the future. And that's what I did. I thought, I'll give up kind of my time and hard work right now so that later on in life I can enjoy the benefits of that. And even now, it's awesome. I'm I'm fairly young. I'm 51 years old, and I already have six grandkids, and all of my kids are getting older, and I love Mm -hmm. spending time with them and all that. So... I have reaped the benefit of maybe what you'd consider a sacrifice when I was younger. That's awesome. So uh, in college, three kids, finally graduate. Um, did you go back to Idaho or where? So well, I, You were in Idaho, obviously, yeah. but did you go back home to start farming with your dad? Or Yeah. So I was at Boise State, and uh, I graduated in basically December of 95. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, my dad said, hey, come out and work on the farm. And I enjoyed the farm work. I didn't necessarily want to do the grunt labor for the rest of my life, right. but I enjoyed being on the farm. So I went out and started farming with my dad. He was just half an hour away from Boise State. Mm-hmm. So I just moved out there, took our kids, and we started farming. Well, farm. I was farming with him. He paid me, and I started my own little farm. And not making a whole lot of money, but a little bit, and progressing along, and... Um, my dad basically said, after about a year and a half, he's like, you know what? I really want to focus more on cattle than on the crops and stuff. And But land in Idaho got so expensive that he basically couldn't afford to run cattle in Idaho. Sure. So he put this ad in the Angus Journal. Now, Angus is a breed of cattle that we raised. Right. So he put an ad in the Angus Journal saying, I'm looking for a cattle ranch that I can buy. This guy from Fort Smith, Arkansas, calls him up out of the blue and says, I've got this cattle ranch for sale down here. My dad flew down there. He's 48, 49 years old, Mm -hmm. and he just buys the ranch, and he decides, I'm moving to Arkansas. We're all like, you are crazy, because he had all his family in Idaho, both all his brothers and sisters were in Idaho, mm-hmm. plus his kids, you know, me and my siblings, we were all in Idaho, and he's just going to suddenly up and move to Arkansas? Yeah. We thought it was crazy, but at the same time, you kind of respect him. It's like, go do it, man. He's chasing his dream. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I want to do cattle. So he moves to Arkansas, and... I don't like cold weather very well. So we're up in Idaho and it's freezing cold all winter long. He's like, he'd call me, hey, you know, it's 64 degrees down here and it's 25 in Boise. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dang it, I'm probably better move down there. So about six months later, we decided to move 
uh, down and we moved near them in Arkansas to a place called Poto. Okay. But uh, so that brought us kind of down to the Midwest to Oklahoma area. But there was a little lesson I learned right before he moved that kind of changed my life and made me get into real estate a little bit more. And it's this. When he, he farmed from the time I was a little kid until I was about 24 years old, right when I was graduating from college, and he worked his tail off. In fact, that's something I learned from my dad, hard work. Yeah. And he worked really hard. Uh, crops are hard. It's hard to make money. It's hard to make a really good living. And so he didn't make a lot of money, but he definitely worked hard, and I think he was a smart guy and all of that. But when he decided to move to Arkansas, he sold all his equipment and tractors and everything that he'd been uh, working to gain mm -hmm. for all those years. How many years do you think that was? 20. From, so basically so, yeah. everything that he had built over the last 20 years, his business, his yeah. life work. Everything was in this equipment. So if he'd make a little money, he'd buy a new tractor sure. or he'd buy a plow or whatever he needed for the farm. So a farmer's wealth is really in the value of of his land and of his, all their stuff and right. that's how i am too i don't have much money in the bank yeah. but i got assets that are worth some money yeah but when my dad went to move he said i'm going to have an auction i'm going to sell all my equipment so he had he hired an auction company they came and all this equipment that he'd worked to acquire for 20 years mm -hmm. he sold for about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. 20 years worth of work and he all of his blood, sweat, and tears, he got 120 grand. And interestingly, when I was in high school, he bought an 80-acre farm, and we moved onto this farm with a little house mm -hmm. and all of that. I think he paid about 160000 for it, about 2000 an acre for this 80 acres. When he moved to Arkansas, uh, about eight years later, he sold that farm for 540000 or something. So I, I thought to myself, all of the work he did for 20 years, he walked away with 120000 Of course, he made a living during that and sure. paid the bills and stuff. But he bought one farm, lived there for eight years, sold it for a $400,000 profit just by buying and selling one farm. And I just thought to myself, kind of like I did with the straw yeah. earlier, I thought, all of that hard work for 120, and he made one purchase and one sale for 400. And I thought, when I can, when I have the money and can get some land, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy and sell land. And that's what I've done. And I'm a cattle rancher, but I make more of my money from buying and selling land than from the cattle by far. So explain to us how you got there, because you said at the beginning of the podcast Cattle ranching is really hard to get into. And it sounds like, if I could be frank, like it sounds like your dad didn't really walk away with much money. He just basically traded straight up what he had for the next farm in Arkansas. Maybe he got a little bit better farm there. Um, so obviously he wasn't the one, you know, financing you building your farm and stuff like that. So how did you go from, you know, uh, the small farm that you had in Arkansas or in Poto to what you have now? We're talking... 5,000 acres, you know, 1,200 cows, yeah. um, multiple, I mean, land everywhere, you know. One thing you got to consider is that it doesn't all happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that young people need to learn. 
they think that, man, if I do it right, I'm going to have all of this. No, I mean, you can, but it takes a long time. Yeah. And my dad did help me. He signed on a few loans and stuff like that. But he didn't just have money that he could give me or lend me or anything. Mm-hmm. But he did help me. Like, he'd let me use his tractor and stuff like that. Farming is incredibly difficult to get into, farming and ranching. So if, if I was a young guy trying to get into farming right now, it's virtually impossible. Land's about $2,500 an acre. Mm-hmm. To run one cow, you need about four acres of land. So ten grand. So ten grand to run one cow. And how much does a cow cost? The cow costs you fifteen hundred dollars. So now you're at eleven thousand five hundred just to have one four cow. acres and one cow. So let's just say you wanted to run a hundred cows, mm-hmm. you'd need four hundred acres at twenty five hundred acres, about a million dollars. Okay. I'm 22 years old, just graduated from college. I don't have a million dollars. Right. Not to mention, 100 cows isn't enough to really make any kind of a living on anyways. Right. So the other thing is, so even if you had that, you've got 100 cows, and do you have equipment? Do you have a pickup and a tractor and all this to take care of those cattle? That costs a bunch of money too. So getting into farming and ranching is almost impossible. There's about three ways that you can do it. One is inherit it. And really, lots of people do. Yeah. You know, my dad, what if he's, if all of his farms had been paid for and stuff? And he said, Brian, you take, you take these farms and just go ahead. And that's how a lot of young farmers get in. They inherit the farms. Their parents help them get in. Second way is to make your money somewhere else and then take that money. Let's say you made a million dollars. Right. Now I can go buy that farm and buy the cattle and I can make it work. And the third way, and this is the way most people do it, is you have a side job. Your job pays your bills and your cattle, you're hoping that you can just get them going. Mm -hmm. In fact, my uncle, my uncle Daryl, who lives in Idaho, Mm -hmm. he was a school teacher and he just had a few cows on the side and bought a little bit of land. And I can't say this for 100% certainty, but I can almost guarantee the land and the cattle, he's, he's in his 70s, early 70s now. Sure. His land and cattle are worth a lot more money than anything he saved for retirement from the school. Because the land that he bought when he was 30 years old is worth 10 times more than he paid for it. Right. So he probably, even though he never cash flowed much money off of those cattle, he has the value in that land now. The farmer you see driving around with the clunker old truck, yeah. he's probably got $15 million worth of land. That's how farmers get rich. They have no money their entire life, but they retire filthy rich because they gained wealth as they went. Right. So my thought was, instead of having nothing my whole life and then being rich when I'm older, if I can flip these farms, then I can have cash flow as I go. Right. So my thought was... Just doing exactly like my dad did. If I can just buy little farms and put some cattle on it, and if the cattle can make most of the payment, they can't quite make the whole payment because there's just because my bank requires 25% down. So Mm -hmm. let's just say for easy numbers, I buy a $500,000 farm. That means I need to put $125,000 down, 25% down. So I'm financing 375. Right. Well, the cows have a really rough time paying the payment on that 375, but they can come close. Okay. So I can't just do it as a full-time living. 
because they're the barely making it. the payment, right. more or less, how am I going to put food on the table? Sure. So I started other businesses and did other jobs and things because I thought to myself, if I can bring in enough money to pay for our living and the cattle can just break even, that's going to build and it's going to get bigger and those the cattle and the land are going to be worth more money as we go. So that was kind of my idea. And you just got to start small because no bank's going to lend me a ton of money. Mm-hmm. I remember the first farm I bought was like 52 acres over near Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I went and bought it and it was just this tiny little farm. I put 20 cows out there. I, I think I paid about 120000 for it. And I just listed it for 160. And I thought, if it sells, I make 40 grand. If not, the cows are pretty much making the payment anyway, so I'm okay. Well, after a couple of months, I sold it. I made $40,000 mm-hmm. in three months. Whereas, and it wasn't really that much work. I just put a few cows out there. This was kind of before Craigslist and all that kind of thing. Now we, now you can sell things online. Mm-hmm. I just put a few ads in the newspaper and kind of spread word. Somebody saw it. They, actually, they saw a sign that I'd put up called, sold it. At the time, I worked a job mm-hmm. that was paying me $40,000 a year. And I thought, so I work all year long for forty grand. I bought one farm, sold it in three months, made 40000 just off that farm. And I knew I was in love. That's yeah, like, what I, I was got, doing I got for the rest of that my point. life. How, um, so like, obviously, I met you when you were, if you're 51. Yeah. So I met you when you were probably 43, 44. Um, what was it like early on? I mean, you have eight kids, Yeah. you know, for the viewers that don't know. And you guys had them so close to it. And obviously Donna's a saint. Like Donna is one of the hardest working people that I know. Yeah. But you're also extremely hardworking. And I don't think a lot of people saw, I didn't see, for example, the sacrifice that you had to make as a young father and growing up. Like what did your daily schedule look like when you were grinding through working a job and trying to do this cattle land flipping thing and everything like that? So we had just gotten started, like like you said, and you're young, you're trying to get mm-hmm. it going. I made one little land flip and I kind of realized, I thought, I need to make a little more money. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I had a college degree and I was able to get a job in Houston, Texas at mm-hmm. Continental Airlines. Went down there, I was working and I still had a little farm in Oklahoma that my dad kind of watched after for me while I was down there. I was only there six months on 9-11-2001. And when that happened, I'm in the airline industry. The airline industry went all to heck. I mean, everybody was in trouble. And I got canned. Basically, they just said, anybody who's been here less than a year, sayonara, you're done. So there I was saying, okay, I got to start over again. But to be totally honest, sometimes in life, the things that you think are a curse sure. are one of the biggest blessings. I ended up working for myself at that point. Yeah. I just thought, you know what? I love cattle. I know how to kind of flip land. So I went back. I moved to Tahlequah, Oklahoma. was about an hour from my parents where they lived. And I actually got another job, but I was back in the country mm-hmm. where I could run. And I started buying a few more cows. Even the the place that I lived, we bought 20 acres and we built a little house on the 20. Mm -hmm. I split off five acres 
and sold five acres to somebody for the same price that I'd paid for the entire 20 acres. So then I had a house on 15 acres and all the land was paid for because I had sold this five acres. So then I took the money I got from that five acres and I went and bought another little tiny farm. In the meantime, we're kind of struggling. I mean, we always had food on the table and all that. It was right. never a horrible struggle. We were never destitute. Mm -hmm. But it was like, okay, we can't go out to dinner that often because here's the crazy thing. We probably could have. But instead of taking that money and spending it on an expensive dinner, I'd invest into more land and into more cattle because I knew they were going to grow and that they would be way more valuable five years from now. And I can eat noodles at home. <laughs> so the, the thought process there is I'm going to suffer a little bit right now so that I can live yeah, a just, lot better. Just like we were saying earlier, sacrifice is giving up something now for something better later. And I was willing to do that. And so was my wife. And it wasn't that huge of a ha sacrifice. We were happy. Mm -hmm. You know, I think little kids don't even know that they're poor unless there's no food on the table. Yeah. But, you know, I'd, I'd go out on the back deck literally every night and throw the football to my kids because I loved it and they loved it. They'd run out and I'd throw the ball to them and we'd kick the ball around and mm -hmm. throw the Frisbee. And we just had a really, really good time. And I'd take them out on the farm and work with them. And that was fun, too. So I, was, I think I was helping to teach them some good worth ethic as well so that they could grow up and be hard workers. So, but it was just slow. I mean, not a lot of money, just starting to flip a little bit of land. Mm -hmm. And then something happened that, that uh, completely changed us forever is... My brothers and I had sold pest control in California. Mm -hmm. We'd just go door to door, and we'd talk to people, and we'd sell them pest control. And we worked for a company in California that would pay us to sell pest control. We did that when I was in college in sure. like 1995, 96. In your 20s. Yeah. And that was just a nice summer job. Mm -hmm. Well, my brothers and I would talk to each other quite a bit, and we'd be like, hey, we ought to work together mm -hmm. because we all loved each other and we wanted to spend time together. And we all kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit because we'd grown up on a farm and all of that. I said, well, what can we do together? And we just kind of looked around at each other and we're like, you know what? We know how to do pest control. We don't really know how to do it. We don't know how to kill bugs, right? but we know how to get accounts. And if we can get customers, mm -hmm. surely we can learn how to kill bugs. So in 2004, we just said, let's do it. I quit my job. I sold my farm and house and most of my cattle. I took a bunch of them to my dad's and left them there because I couldn't give up on my cattle. Sure. I loved them too much. But And I moved to Edmond, Oklahoma. And so did my brother Dennis and my brother Aaron. So this was just a total gamble. Yeah, I was 32 years old, but... Uh, we went and took some classes on how to kill bugs, and we had to get licensed. So we went to Oklahoma State University, and we got all these licenses. And we sold everything. And I remember the day we went to knock doors the first time, we just looked at each other and said, what in the world are we doing? We just sold everything we have to start a brand new business. And so it was kind of crazy. We went out and knocked doors. We got cell phones. The first time I'd ever had a cell phone, actually. And about 
10 doors in, I made a sale and I called my brother and I said, I just made a sale. He said, I made one too. And we were so excited because we knew this thing was going to work. That's awesome. You literally just walked away from what your life work was at that point to chase an opportunity you guys didn't know would work out. You guys get your first two sales, right, in that first day. And what what happened with that business? Tell me about that experience, the trials that you guys had to go through, the setbacks, and then ultimately, you know, what you learned from that experience. We learned a lot. We actually made more than two sales. We had two sales in the first 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. we're like, wow, this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Of course there were trials. We didn't have any money. The only money we had was the money that I had from selling my farm and house back in Tahlequah. Mm-hmm. So we had, I think we had about 60 grand sitting in our bank account, but that goes fast when you got to buy trucks and equipment and all the things. So you're using personal finances to finance. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have any other way to get money. So I was just, so I just said to my brothers, I'll, I'll lend the money, pay me back eventually. Let's, let's get this going. So that first night, I think we made about eight sales between three of us, and we were stoked. And we started setting them up for about a week out so that we could get a bunch of sales, and then then we'd get our trucks going. We're out there spraying. We don't know really what we're doing, but we're kind of figuring it out as we go. Sure. I had a brother-in-law who was doing pest control down in Dallas, and he was so nice. I would call him up and ask him questions about, uh-huh. hey, man, how do I do this and that? And he'd help us, and that helped a lot. But we got better at it, but there were a lot of trials. So the three of us made all these sales, and we did pretty well that first year. I think we got about 450 accounts or something. We didn't even start till July the 20th because by the time we got our license and we were ready to go, it was July. Mm-hmm. So 400 accounts, and there were three of us kind of trying to make a living off of that. So we had to dig into that $60,000 that I had. But we knew that this was going to work. Mm-hmm. So we said, next year, let's bring in more salesmen. So we hired about six people to come in and help us sell. And you cannot do everything, and you got to realize that. You can't service all the accounts and sell them and run the office. You just can't do it. We kind of tried, and you run out of steam. You can't do it all. Sure. So you got to hire competent, good, trustworthy people to help you with with that kind of thing. So we went out and we hired a bunch of people to help us that next summer. So that would have been the summer of 2005. We had about seven or eight salesmen and then the three of us sold again too. Mm -hmm. We had a problem with growth. We were almost growing too fast. And to pay these salesmen, we promised them quite a bit of money. So this 60,000 is starting to get kind of low. But at the same time, the Accounts are generating a little bit of money. So it's a little bit scary, but at the same time, it's really exciting. Yeah. You've done it. Yeah. Starting your own business is so exciting. We would get to the office at 7 a.m. or 6.30, make sure our routes were ready to go. And we had three trucks that first summer Mm -hmm. that were running, and you'd have to have a good route. You don't want them going to the north end of town and then all the way to the south. They need to... So you got to have your salesmen schedule them properly. Mm-hmm. And we had nightmares trying to get all that together. Sure. And that's just growing pains, and it was part of it. But we'd work from 6 a.m. till midnight, and it was fun because you're building something. Not to mention you're doing it with your brothers. Yeah. I'm there with my brothers, and we're just working and having a great time. Here's an interesting thing. So eventually, 
three other brothers joined us. This is kind of going down the road a little further. Uh-huh. But six brothers were working together. In fact, we renamed our pest control company Six Brothers Pest Control. It's kind of hokey, but people think it's funny. And they're like, really? Are there really six of you? Yeah. But it's interesting. If you tell people, I work with my six brothers, the very first thing they say is, how in the world can you guys all get along? That's my thought, too. And the answer is, you just got to let stuff go. You're going to have your arguments. You're going to have disagreements. Let it go. Yeah. So we'd be, in fact, our secretaries would laugh at us because we'd be in the conference room yelling at each other. And they could see us through the window yelling at each other. Yeah. And then literally five minutes later, we're laughing and talking and you just got to let stuff go. And I think that's true, not just in business, but in life too. Mm-hmm. You can hold grudges and be mad at people or you can let stuff go. Just like I, you were saying, what are some of the things you learned from your mission? Mm-hmm. I learned how to get along with a companion who was completely different than me. Mm-hmm. I spent 24 hours a day with him for three months. I had to learn how to like people, not just tolerate, but actually like people that are completely different than mm-hmm. me. Anyway, we'd argue with each other, and then seven minutes later, it's like, hey, where do you want to eat lunch, guys? You just let it go. You got to get on with your life. Otherwise, you cannot do business together. You just, there's too many little things that'll ruin it. Yeah. Just let it go. And that's, that's a lesson that I've learned in business. You can't let things bother you or, or ruin your relationship. In fact, here's something really interesting. Just yesterday, my son, Lyndon, Mm -hmm. works with me and he was talking about a property he was trying to buy. The seller wanted two hundred and nineteen thousand, and he offered one eighty. They came down to two ten. He went up to about one ninety two or something, and he's like, eh, "I don't want to pay any more than that." And it just ticks me off that they won't come down any. And he's like, "I'm not going to buy it just because they're unwilling to move." And I said, "You can't let emotion rule you. You need to decide whether it's a good deal or not, no matter." what the negotiation is. I said, what if they had it listed for 300,000 and they came down to 210, then would it be a good deal? It doesn't matter what they're doing on their end. You need to decide if this is a good deal for you. Don't let your emotion rule what you're doing. Yeah. So it, he kind of thought about that and he was like, you know, that makes sense. If it's worth 210, it's worth 210, but it just bothers me that they won't come down. Yeah. Some of the worst business decisions I've ever made were in the heat of the moment with emotion. Yeah. And that, I mean, I've had a lot of setbacks because of that. So I think you're right. Um, so you guys had the pest control company. Uh, obviously, you don't do pest control anymore. So talk about how you went from doing pest control and transitioning into full-time cattle. Okay. It, that's that's actually really cool because number pest control was cool. I loved working with my brothers, but it wasn't my passion. I didn't killing bugs isn't my passion. Right. When I was 11, I wanted to be a cattle rancher and I still wanted to when I was 36. Mm-hmm. So, during this time where we were growing, we started to make some money. Mm-hmm. Nothing big, you know. In fact, I remember we each got $3,000 a month starting in 2005 after that second summer. And we thought we were big Profit, time. profit from yeah. the business. Profits. We were just rolling those dividends and we were getting them and Heck yeah. pretty excited. 3000 isn't that much money, but at the time, 
I didn't have that many expenses. I could live on 3000 and sure. I could even take a little bit of that money, put it into farming. And so I so bought- you were able to raise eight kids on $3,000 a month and still put a little bit into farming. Yeah, but I did take a little bit. You know, I had that 60000 that we started the business sure. with. So I was getting 3000 a month, plus the business was paying back that loan to me. Gotcha. So I was getting a little extra. So we were living on a little more than 3000 It's probably more like 3500 Yeah. But because of that loan payback, I was getting about an extra 1500 a month. And I said, hey, I can make a payment on a farm with this 1500 Went to a bank, bought 80 acres, and we built a really nice house on that 80. And we still live there on that 80 in, the, in a big, nice house that we really enjoy. But I did that only making a few thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And so... You don't have to be rich to achieve your dreams. In fact, cattle ranching is not great money. Yeah. As as I've shown, it costs you so dang much just to get in. Right. But I love it. And I have I've kind of made the decision that happiness is what you do every day. Mm-hmm. There are too many people in the world who hate their jobs. They just do it to put food on the table. They do it five days a week and on the weekends they party. I do this seven days a week, and I love it. If people say, hey, what are your hobbies? Like, uh, cattle ranching. Yeah. <laughs> I love cattle. I like just being out there and driving. We drive the four-wheelers around, and it's just really good. But how I went from business into cattle ranching is kind of what I'm saying. I just started taking a little bit of my money, mm-hmm. and I found another farm that was for sale, and I went back to the same banker, and he said, if you got the 25% down, You've kind of proven to us that you're going to make those payments. And so I bought another farm. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's kind of interesting. I bought that farm for $500 an acre, and I sold it for eight fifty two months later. So I made $32,500 mm-hmm. on an $80,000 investment. Well, interestingly, $80,000, if I only put 25% down, mm-hmm. I put $20,000 down. Sold the farm for one twelve five, so I made thirty two thousand on a twenty thousand dollar investment. Technically, I was on the hook for the whole the whole eighty, right? But I only put twenty in cash to make thirty two. Sure. So that's kind of the thing that I try to do. I try to my goal when I buy a farm is to double my down payment. So if I put a hundred thousand down on a farm, my goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars on that farm. So it sounds like even from the beginning when you weren't making that much money, you leverage yourself pretty heavy with the banks, Yeah. right? How much do you leverage yourself now compared to, I mean, even back then? So quite a bit less now. I mean, I'm still leveraged, but as I, so what I've learned over time is, so that farm I was just telling you about that I paid 500 an acre for, I sold it for 850 and thought I was a genius. And I walked away with (laughs) 32,000. I think I'm the greatest thing ever. That very farm is worth 2,000 an acre today. So what I learned from that is flipping farms, flipping land is awesome because it keeps the cash flow coming in. But you also need some long-term investments that you hold on to for longer Mm -hmm. because they're going to be worth a lot later. So I have big farms. I've got one out in a town called Wewoka. It's got a thousand acres. And I think I'm probably going to hold on to that forever. And I hope I pass it on to my kids and grandkids someday. But 
that's a long-term investment. And at the same time, we're buying farms and we flip them mm -hmm. and we uh, sell those. And so your question was, how did I get from pest control into farming and ranching? So over time, we started making enough with our pest control business that we kind of I would only have to work about half a day and then I'd come out and work on the farm and we were making really good money. So I'd take any additional money and just put it in the farm. When you're taking money from an outside source and putting it into farming and ranching, you can really build quickly. The other thing my accountant says about farms, he said they are magical because everything is tax deductible. If you buy feed for your cattle, you write that off. If you buy... Uh, truck to feed your cattle, you write that off. Anything that could remotely be written off for cattle, you can. Yeah. And so even the money I was bringing in from pest control, I never paid taxes because I'd take it and invest it into cattle, which are this great tax write-off. Right. So that worked in my favor as well. So just over time, mm -hmm. I was leveraged big time. So let's say that 15 years ago, I was worth a million dollars. Well, I, I was, my total gross worth was $4 million and I owed $3 million. So it's like, well, you're worth a million dollars, but you got a lot of debt and yeah. you leveraged like crazy. Well, over time, that's why I'm saying I keep some farms long-term and some are short-term. You start saying, okay, now I'm worth $2 million and I, I owe $2 million, but my net worth is my gross worth is $4 million. And as that number goes up, you say, okay, the gross worth is now $5 million and I only owe $1 million. Gotcha. So you still have debt. I've, I've still got lots of debt. But my debt to asset ratio has flip-flopped where my assets are worth a lot more than my debts now. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that for a second because for me, that's something that I'm learning as a young business or entrepreneur is being comfortable with debt. Cause my family growing up, it was always debt is evil. Don't spend much money. I mean, we didn't have much money growing up, but my parents always made sure that, you know, we were always trying to pay back debt. And so growing up, I was like, I don't want to have any debt, no debt whatsoever. And at first I managed my finances like that until I met you. And I heard you on a phone one day calling your banker and saying like, Hey, Eric, I need $1.2 million. Yep. I'll send the down payment by a five, five second phone call, you're getting money. I'm like, how do you get that kind of capital? And um, I've realized that it's building relationships with banks, but also being comfortable leveraging that debt. And so for some people, you know, I feel like you can sleep well at night having no debt, but for some people like you, you can sleep well at night while leveraging yourself. How, how hard are you leveraged right now? <laughs> um, a lot less than I was. Like right now, I probably have $2 million in debt, uh -huh. but Every once in a while, it gets scary. Right now, the Fed Fed is raising interest rates. Right. So all my debt, I'm paying double what I was three years ago. Sure. So that gets scary, and you got to be careful and be able to manage that. But as long as your assets f are outweighing your debt by quite a bit, you mm -hmm. can sleep at night. Yeah. Because you say, worst case scenario, I'll have to sell the farm. If Let's say I owe a million dollars on a farm. In fact, this is true of one of my farms. I owe a million dollars on it, but mm -hmm. it's worth three million. So I can sleep at night knowing, worst case scenario, in a fire sale, I could sell it for 2.5, pay off that debt and have a million and a half left. So why wouldn't you go refinance a farm? 
right now yeah because interest the, rates are high okay that's, <laughs> so that's, yeah that's I'm, it have you refinanced farms before to take out the money to purchase yeah, okay. yeah if i so i don't want as i get older i don't want my debt to go up i want my debt to go down as mm -hmm. i get older but i don't want to miss opportunities sure so it's got to be a really good opportunity for me to want to get into more debt i mean like really good so we're still out there buying and selling land because it's what works for us. It's what we do. Mm -hmm. But I'm a little bit more cautious. Whereas, you know, 15 years ago, it's like, that looks like a good deal. I'll get it. So one thing I've learned, too, is you can't be overly analytical about an investment because you'll talk yourself out of it every time. Sometimes talking yourself out of it is the right thing to do because mm -hmm. you don't want to get into a bad investment. But if you overanalyze stuff too much, it's like, oh, the fences are no good, good on this farm. I don't want to buy it. Well, I say to myself, is it worth more than I'm paying for it? And if it is, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to try sure. to buy it. I can put on new fences or whatever. So, And I always have a plan for a farm or for debt. Don't just go into debt. In fact, your parents said, Debt's evil, basically, is what you said. And mm -hmm. I actually kind of agree with that when it just comes to personal wasted debt. Sure. So I'm going to go blow a bunch of money living outside of my means mm -hmm. because I'm irresponsible. That's bad debt. Sure. There's, I think there's such a good thing as good debt. Yeah. I mean, are you going to wait until you have cash to buy a house? I'd say that's probably good debt to have a little bit of debt on a house. It's mm -hmm. better than paying rent that's just flying away. Sure. At least you're getting some equity in that house. So debt is a little bit of a scary thing, but if you do the numbers and you realize, hey, this thing's going to work, mm -hmm. it's like the first 60000 that I lent to our business, I was scared until we started bringing in some money and it's like, hey, I'm going to get my 60000 back and we're going to make a nice business out of this. So what ended up happening with our pest control business, we ended up selling it out and I basically took the money from that, paid a lot of debt, and bought a couple more farms. And so what I did is I just went slowly. And mm -hmm. if, that, if there's any lesson that somebody should learn from me is stuff doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. I'm 51, and I'm finally kind of where I want to be with, with uh, my land values and cattle. And, but, you know, and I always try to keep in perspective family just – my family is the most important thing in my life. And it's interesting. People say that all the time. Yeah. And yet 90% of their time is spent at work or, or at their job. or And even me, I'm always thinking about cattle and land and how can I do better? Mm -hmm. And yet I say that family's my priority. And so I try to actually take time every day to spend time with family and to build relationships and to make my wife happy, to make my children happy, and to love each other. And so that's something that I try to do too, is be well-rounded. Not just, it's, life isn't just about business. It's about a lot of different things. And right. so I'm trying to be well-rounded in my life as well. What does it profit you to own the world and have no one to share it with? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, Brian, I appreciate you coming on and giving us your story and-, and yep. Um, talking, I think a lesson about one hard work, but two patience to accomplish your dreams. Now, the the thing about this podcast and the people that we bring on is 
they're they haven't quite made it yet. When I say made it, they're not, you know, retired. Yeah. And and I think for people like you and me is I don't think retirement's ever going to happen because we love to work. Mm-hmm. But what's the next phase for Brian Christensen? What does your life look like in five to ten years? What's the vision there? I actually think what you're saying is exactly true of me. Mm-hmm. In fact, I originally started working my tail off thinking, hey, when I'm 45 or 50, I can retire and take it easy. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? I love what I'm doing, so why would I retire? Right. So what I think is going to happen, in fact, this is kind of my goal, is to semi-retire. I want to, instead of, I've, I've got, like you said, I've got 4,500 or 5,000 acres and 1,300 cows, and it is a lot of work. So I think eventually over the next five years, just sell some of those farms, pay off all my debt, still have cows, just not so many. Sure. I can work as hard as I want, or I can travel and, and take days off and stuff like that. So I think for me, semi-retired would be awesome where I can still have a purpose. You know, I've seen people retire and they're just like, what am I supposed to do with myself now? Yeah. Hey, I can still run the cows. I just don't have to work so hard. And so I see myself doing that. But getting out of debt is one of my goals. Right now, I'm not that worried about it. As long as my debt is manageable, that's mm-hmm. cool. But over time, I just want to get out of debt and kind of slow things down a little bit. Be able to travel with my wife and kids and spend more time with my grandkids and mm-hmm. things like that. So I don't see myself ever retiring, but someday just being way less busy. I've told my wife my dream scenario of how I drop dead is that I'm going to be out checking the cows and I'm going to go walk. I'm going to get out of my truck. I'm going to have a heart attack and drop dead when I'm 93 years old. Just in the middle of the Somebody's field. Somebody's just going to find me out in the field dead. That's how I want to go. Just <laughs> having a good time, doing what I love doing, still working and still being out there doing something and just dropping dead while I'm doing it. So I have no intention of ever retiring, but I do want to take it a lot slower at some point. That's awesome. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Anybody that is looking uh, for cattle to purchase in March, Christensen Angus Farms are having your cattle sell when? Oh, that's true. March the 10th, we we have a sale on the second Friday of March every year. We sell a whole bunch of bulls and, and females and stuff like that. That's where we bring in most of our cattle income. If you guys are looking to go to a cattle <laughs> sale in Oklahoma yeah, in give March, me a call. you're invited. You bet. Christian Sanangas, thanks for having thanks for coming on the show, Brian. Hey, you bet. Appreciate it's you. Good being here.